This is the EWN Podcast Network. Hello, this is Dr. Judy Cook welcoming you to Shrink Wrapped, a place where you can learn skills to shrink away some of your troubles, wrap yourself in more enjoyment, and begin to find more rapture about being in this incredible universe. In the last show, we talked about some tough topics, the increasing problems with drug abuse, especially opiates, and the increasing rate of suicide, both of them driven by people feeling really bad about themselves. Today, you will learn more about some of the ways we have acquired and have created those bad feelings and skills to change that and feel good. So, are you happy with the way your life is now? Or are there things you want to change? Do you feel things out in the world are only getting worse? Do you worry that this might have an effect on you and the people you love? Would you like to learn some skills to take charge yourself without having to wait for those seven billion other people to fix themselves? Then first, we must identify the problems and causes. I've been in psychiatry for 40 years, a specialty I had not planned to go into until I realized it was the best path for helping people to happier and healthier lives. Not too surprisingly, the journey to helping people with any emotional dis-ease and have happier lives included the road to learning how to have a happier life myself. The lessons that I learned in that process saved my life and helped me improve and even save the lives of many thousands of patients. But I want to do more than that, to help more people than that. So I'm transitioning to speaking and writing. There's some very basic skills we frequently aren't taught for coping with the ups and downs and stresses in life that can not only help the most severe mentally ill people, but can also work like preventive care in the mental health arena for everyone. They are skills we can all learn to use to recognize those things that are causing our dis-ease. Then we can develop our emotional sense of awareness and be less vulnerable to the onslaught of emotional stressors, much like polio vaccine helped us resist catching polio. How many of you would rather be immunized to prevent polio than catch it and wind up in an iron lung? And would any of you prefer to learn skills to fend off mental dis-ease and minimize it early? Or would you rather have it turn into a mental illness and maybe even be hospitalized for it? Ironically, although medication is helpful for some of the patients, and even essential for a few of them, there was something I was doing that was helping people who had been treatment failures for sometimes several other doctors, while getting them on fewer medicines instead of more, and usually stopping the need for future hospitalizations for those who came to me that sick. So what was it I did for them, and how does that apply for you? So let's identify some of the problems and their causes. First, one of the big causes of emotional dis-ease is that we often wonder, why does that person treat me that way? We take their feelings and comments and opinions and behaviors as if they are correct and you are incorrect and give them the power to hurt you. Ask yourself, why does the sun burn me when I'm out in it? Why is it doing that to me? Why won't that stupid sun change and quit burning me? When you realize the sun is just doing what it does, you can avoid taking it personally and find ways to avoid getting burned by shielding against it 
and it is the same with people. When you quit thinking they're out to get you, or thinking that those seven and a half billion people out there should change so you will be okay, well, I'd suggest you not hold your breath waiting for that to happen, because they may be waiting for everyone else to change as well. Take charge and learn how to deal with them so they don't affect you. As an example, I had a patient named Mabel who grew up with the worst kinds of emotional, physical, and sexual abuse. This was done because those people were who they were and were driven by behaviors and viewpoints that had shaped their lives through several generations of learning by watching and copying without even being aware of it. By the time she came to me in the hospital, she was alcoholic, severely depressed, and married to an abusive husband. She was miserable enough with all the things that had happened in her childhood and teens and wondering, why me? But she really had no awareness of how she was continuing to dance the masochism tango by recreating more abusive relationships. When her husband wound up arrested for severely abusing her, and had to get anger management therapy, he learned well, and he stopped abusing her. Because he stopped abusing her, she started hating him and withdrew from him. She thought he had quit loving her because he no longer abused her. Why? Because abuse was the way her family had always shown love. We did some reframing and looked at those family members and how they grew up, and were able to see their behaviors as something they did because it was what they learned and were passing it on, not because she somehow deserved it. But the big one was to take her husband's change in behavior and say, let's look at that another way. What if he meant he loved you so much he would do something that difficult for you? That reframing allowed her to talk to her husband about her confused feelings, find out how much he really did love her, and move into a life of sobriety, decrease some of her other abusive relationships, and have more and more days when life really goes well. She still has to practice these skills, but she's getting better by the day, just by reframing it from, why did they do this to me, to why are they that way, And how can I deal with it differently and protect myself from that people burn? We will talk more about reframing in the solutions section of this talk. A second cause of problems is the shame and stigma about emotional issues. This leads many people to try to hide from the problems, which leads to lack of knowledge about them, failure to focus on them, and failure to get treatment for those problems. If you think, by contrast, about Ebola, it has gotten lots of attention and focus about the causes, prevention, and treatment, despite the fact that last year, worldwide, it caused only 11 to 12,000 deaths, compared to the millions of deaths for suicide and drug abuse. If we put the same proportionate amount of shameless, stigma-free attention and proportionate amount of research and funding on truly understanding and treating emotional issues instead of just throwing pills at them so drug companies are making a fortune, 
would be much further along. Yes, there is research and new technology, and there are new treatments, but there is still shame and stigma preventing looking at the emotional causes. Thus, more time is spent looking at the medical component instead of the emotional component of an emotional disease. As an example, for many years it was in vogue to attribute anxiety and panic to mitral valve prolapse, making it a medical disorder instead of dealing with the emotions that were the true cause. At least they did use the same medication. Looking just at the anatomy and the presumed chemistry of the brain is a bit like looking at a picture of a car and analyzing how well it is running. It just doesn't work. We are certainly making some progress when we use neuropsychological testing and computer-assisted EEG analysis and functional MRI, but I believe we still lag behind because of the shame and stigma issue as well as the difficulties of studying the brain directly. We are making more progress there with the ability to use probes and put electrodes directly on the brain in surgery, but it is still much more difficult to study the brain in its protective case than most other parts of the body, and much of what happens emotionally will not be found by all those studies that just look at the physical. All those medications <clears throat> that look at one medical cause after another related to various neurotransmitters can help temporarily and sometimes are needed permanently. But if they were all as wonderful as advertised, the numbers of patients and costs of care in the mental field would be going down dramatically instead of going up. Not only do we stigmatize the emotional problems, we tend to stigmatize the people who have them, tending to think they are just bad people, ne'er-do-wells who don't try. If it were all defective people, we wouldn't be seeing, for example, 400 physicians a year just in America commit suicide and even more have substance abuse issues, and we wouldn't see these problems in celebrities and other high-functioning people. And the stigma also helps create the problem of not having enough people to treat it. Very little in easily available general education about it, such as this program and many other available written and audio materials, as well as the shame about reaching for that information. There's also the problem of insurance companies doing all they can to avoid paying for treatment of mental health and substance abuse issues even though it would help decrease the physical health issues and decrease the costs for insurance and the chronic use of medications and decrease the costs and stresses for our police. Although doctors now give out questionnaires to try to determine if people have depression, because of the demands of insurance and electronic health records, they tend to have a lot less time to be involved, listen, and be there for patients. Psychiatrists are now trained merely, mainly to give pills or TMS or shock therapy rather than doing the psychotherapy which has helped tremendously even back when we had only a few medicines. 
It's what they're taught to do now, which takes a lot less time and effort. And they make a more reasonable income just giving pills, although they still rank near the bottom of the pay scale for physicians, along with pediatricians and family practitioners, our basic caregivers. What all three of these fields should have in common and used to have in common was taking time to talk to you and or your family, get your history, get to know you as a person, and from that frequently get a sense at least of your life stressors and how they affected you and observe behaviors that also gave clues. Now the focus is on effective use of the office space and doctor's time and meaningful use. Even for things like pneumonia, the insurance companies will limit the amount of time allowed to treat it. And then, if the patient relapses too soon, they will not pay for that. The doctor and hospital can still treat them. It's just that the insurance will not pay for it. What a catch-22. For emotional issues, it takes longer and is much harder to quantitate than things like controlling blood pressure and diabetes even with some of those quantitative scales they currently use to measure progress. Third issue is that many, many people have been raised with negative images and skill sets about themselves. You beat up on yourself for who you are not instead of focusing on maximizing who you are, focusing on what you do wrong instead of what you do right. This is also becoming more of a problem for our students who are in school systems that try to homogenize their students so they all come out with the same test results, instead of recognizing that different approaches may be needed even in the early years of schooling as well as in college. The lack of acceptance of who you are and constantly blaming and criticizing yourself, often based on the unsolicited opinions of others, is a great way to make yourself miserable. The more you say and believe bad things about yourself, the less you like yourself. In reality, many of the criticisms that come from other people come from their own issues of trying to prove their own worth by looking for things to fault in other people. And the faults they find are often mirrors of their own issues. These are usually also the people who get caught in the trap of believing there is only one way to do things and of course for them to be an okay person then they have to be the one with the right way. I often explain that if the creator of this universe felt that way we would have all been created as clones. Seven and a half billion people identical to that one perfect person. And I guess if there's only one way to be a human being, then there should also be only one way to be a plant or an animal or a bacteria or a mountain, river, lake, or anything else you can think of. Or perhaps we would all be nondescript but identical particles of energy just floating through the universe instead of being coalesced into an infinite number of widely varying creations. Many people avoid looking at the issues that are emotionally painful to them as if that will somehow make them go away. If you ignore a broken leg, will it go away? True, that leg might eventually heal, but it will also cause you pain for much longer than necessary, and depending on the severity can leave you quite crippled, just like ignoring feelings. 
you have a better chance of growing green plants in a dark closet than resolving those emotional issues by just ignoring them instead of resolving them. While we are mentioning health issues, when we are emotionally stressed or distressed, whether it is lifelong or recent, it often shows up with physical symptoms that can ultimately turn into real physical illnesses. This can be stress and tension from a job, from a relationship, from our negative beliefs about ourselves, from old anger and hatred we carry around with us and won't let go of by forgiving whoever did whatever to you, and other things you just can't stomach. Fourth, in addition to whatever slings and arrows have come your way through your life, from whomever and whatever, there are also many things happening in our society that can have a negative effect on us, at least if we take them too seriously. The ever-present negative news that invites people to feel as if everything in the world is just terrible is one issue that can make you feel horrible by keeping you in constant fear and paranoia. The news media makes it seem like there's a horrible event lurking on every corner, but in reality, their job is to do a worldwide search for the bad stuff, and they do it well. However, their search normally gives only about 30 minutes of bad news a day, if they are lucky, and the same bad news gets broadcast on all the stations, and it often gets repeated for days. There are also all those commercials that tell you things that are wrong with you and are aimed at convincing you that you have a problem you may not even have thought about having, all in the interest of selling you a product you probably don't need, and they are really skilled and clever at that. If all those weight loss products, for example, worked as advertised, everyone on the planet would be skinny. If all those happy pills really worked, whether legal or illegal or liquid or something you smoke, everyone would be happy most of the time. We also have a social overconnected disconnect. We are constantly on our computers or cell phones, but even with the phones, we are more likely to text or message someone rather than talk to them person to person. The amount of time we spend being around friends and neighbors in person has significantly decreased because of all this, and that is a stressor because we are basically social creatures. We also tend to spend a majority of our time in some kind of confined space, car, office, home, stores, but not much time out in nature, which can provide a very soothing, nurturing, educational environment if we let it. Let's take a short break now, and when we come back, we will look at solutions you can employ to make you feel better, which, by the way, also tends to rub off on people around you as you role model new behaviors. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN Podcast hosts at EWNPodcastNetwork.com.
Welcome back to Shrink Wrapped. We've been discussing some of the ways we developed the problem of feeling bad, and now we are going to learn some solutions to make you feel good. They become easier and more effective as you learn and practice them, just like developing any other skill. First, develop some positive addictions. Why would I say that to an addict? Turn your problem into a solutions. You have addictions to help you quit feeling bad. If you develop a positive addiction, it will help you feel good directly, prevent you from feeling bad about your addiction, not take that toll on your health, and hopefully even save you money. Learning to get high on life is a much better addiction to pursue. I do not suggest substituting other harmful addictions like overeating, sex addiction, gambling, and so on. So what do I suggest? There may have been activities you really enjoyed earlier in your life or things you always wanted to do. One of my patients changed his alcohol addiction to photography and he got so good he started making money selling his photos and was having showings of his work. You might really enjoy sports, or music, or reading, or travel. Work can also become an addiction, so be aware of it and try to combine it with some relaxing addictions, like maybe watching funny movies. See what some of your friends like to do and see if any of those indulgences appeal to you. I have a lot of good things one could consider addictions, but they are relaxing and restorative and bring good feelings that offset the bad ones. For example, I have a huge greenhouse full of orchids, a very large library, love to travel and take thousands of photos on each trip, and really love spending time in nature, often with a camera. Second, while you're in the process of learning new skills to take charge of your life, it is really important to start developing an attitude of gratitude because it improves your mood. So many people are miserable because they don't see anything to be grateful for. You can start by being glad your name isn't in the obituary column, that you have a roof over your head instead of living in a cave. You don't have to grow or hunt your own food and don't have to make all your own clothes, much less spin the thread and weave the fabric. We tend to have first world syndrome in this country and think it's a terrible life if some little annoying thing goes wrong, like the power goes out for a few minutes, while forgetting to see the big picture of all the blessings and luxuries we have. I've been in third world countries where people wash their clothes in the river and lay them on the rocks to dry, and where people live in huts made of tree trunks covered in cow manure to seal the cracks, with no indoor lighting or plumbing walking wherever they go, and yet they are not complaining. They're too busy living life. There is a wonderful book called The Magic, written by Rhonda Byrne, that takes you day by day through exercises you can do to help you start seeing things through different eyes and realize all the things you have to be grateful for. This helped many of my patients gain a new perspective. I have seen that trick even make the lives of schizophrenics better as it helps them step out of their par paranoia 
and see other options. Third, those old-fashioned therapy skills that grab your head and heart to help you understand where the problems arose and how to deal with and overcome them are still critically important. Basically, in therapy, I teach people the many ways to re-see those things in life that are troubling them. Because as Wayne Dyer used to say, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. For example, you can look at nighttime and be scared of the dark, or look at it as nature's way of giving us needed rest. We can look at rainy days and be angry at the inconvenience, or grateful that this water-based planet is receiving more of that life sustaining liquid. You can even look at things happening to you that feel horrid and focus on the bad feelings or focus on the lessons you will learn from them. When catastrophes happen, we can look just at the horror or look at the huge numbers of people who come in to help just because they can. And the lessons that we learn about the temporary nature of this life and the need to spend more time appreciating our loved ones. As we see the good things in life, if we also start practicing an attitude of gratitude for them, it becomes yet another step that solidifies feeling much better. Third, to learn to take charge of your life in a positive way, you need to learn how to reframe things and put them in a different context, like that patient I discussed earlier who opted to see her husband as really loving her a lot to make those changes rather than believing he hated her. You can reframe things that seem hard by looking for the positives in them. Look at the many times people pour out to help their fellow human beings after something tragic. Or look at the skills you gain by working through and learning from some major stress. Learn to refocus your thoughts. Instead of looking for what might go wrong, look for what could go right and believe it is possible. Seeing only the negative possibilities helps bring them about. Focus on increasing your I'm entitled to mindset instead of I don't deserve that, whether that be about money, relationships, or other things you desire. Many lottery winners who go from poor to rich become even poorer in a short time because they don't feel they deserve being rich or believe that being a rich person is bad. This is an infinite universe with infinite options for money, love, diversity, and many other things. Fifty years ago, we wouldn't even have thought about things like the internet, social media, or sustainable energy as sources of income. Yet they have made billionaires out of people who did not have that I don't deserve or rich people are bad mindsets. And they've also been doing many great things to help humanity in other ways. Learn to be a shameless receiver of the good things in life, which does include showing gratitude. You need to reverse that negative view of yourself. See your good qualities and reduce the importance of the opinions of others because they are only opinions and not necessarily facts. Realize that other people burn you for the same reason the sun burns you, because they are being themselves. Reverse your expectations for a negative outcome 
And instead of saying, what if this goes wrong, think about, what if it goes right? Realize it is okay to get away from painful people and situations and plan it to minimize your stress, even if that means getting away from your family, at least for a while, so you can learn to heal. Also recognize there are many right ways of doing anything and don't be always trying to do things the way some other person thinks is right, especially if it goes against your ethics. Even if they are your boss or a family member, if it truly doesn't feel right to you, then start looking at your strategy for moving on. In the case of a job, start searching for a new one while you still have the old one if that is possible. If you are moving away from particular people, also take time to relax and stay away from those people for a while and figure out who you are and what you want so you can negotiate for that in future relationships. This is really important after a divorce so you don't immediately go into another relationship just like the prior one. Fourth, as a part of learning relaxation, I strongly recommend turning to nature for nurture. Go outside and listen to the birds singing and realize they must know something about the world going well. Look at the flowers and plants and just enjoy them for what they share with and do for us. Feel the sun and breeze on your skin and just relax and enjoy them. Go walking in a park or wooded area and just relax, enjoy, look around and see how other kinds of life abound and survive without all the stress we put ourselves through. Look at all these things and realize this world has functioned for billions of years without your help or your worrying about it and maybe you should just enjoy it while you can because our time in this life is not infinite and we ought to allow ourselves to enjoy it and hopefully also get joy out of doing good things. Even if you see something like the devastation of a forest fire or a tornado, realize nature can and will grow things back, maybe even better than before. In fact, those stressors may be essential for perpetuating many kinds of plants. Just like people, the plants will also die, but can leave their seed or children behind to keep things going after they leave. Look at the beauty of spring flowers and appreciate that life cycle. See the insects and realize they help pollinate plants, which feed us and feed the birds, both of which give us joy and help recycle some of life's important things, such as the oxygen that plants release, things that are essential to our lives. You might also look at that manure that animals excrete and realize it helps grow those plants. They need it to live and we need them for the food and oxygen in order to live. Let yourself also see that the manure that drops in our lives can be the fertilizer to allow us to grow ourselves in ways we wouldn't otherwise grow. For example, the sternness and criticism from my family helped me to grow the understanding and learn the skills that allowed me to help patients to a healthier place because I had experienced the pain and recovery myself and not just from lectures. That pain in driving me to help others 
subsequently also brought me great joy in life. I would urge you to look for similar pathways. These and additional skills, which really overlap a lot, can not only serve as therapy for those whose emotional disease has become overwhelming, but they can serve as prevention against the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that can beset any of us at any time. Fifth, to refocus or retrain your thoughts, you first have to realize that both good and bad things go on in the world. There is light and dark, hot and cold, north and south, and good and bad. Ironically, things that may seem terrible to one person may seem great to another, and each does have its purpose. However, our minds are like guided missiles, and we focus them on seeking what we specify or what we expect to find. They will, like that missile, find the sought-out target and ignore everything else around them. If you're looking for all the red cars in the freeway, for example, you won't notice the other colors very much. I'm a great example of how that works. My father was superb at finding even the smallest flaws in anything and taught me to be the same way. The flaw in that thinking was that neither of us were trained to search for anything else, which could allow everybody and everything to look bad. The really horrible thing about that skill is that while it gets turned very strongly on other people, it gets turned on the self even more strongly. So if I could find a flaw in a fly's whiskers, I could really do well at finding perceived flaws in myself. When I would turn that flaw finding on others, do you think it made them love me more? After some serious training, I learned to turn that skill 180 degrees and became very good at honing in on the good stuff. That allows finding the good in self and others, especially as we realize there is more good than bad in the world, and which also impacts others in a positive ripple effect much of the time, which changes life so much for the better. It also took training to realize we are all a mixture of qualities and accept ourselves as we are, recognizing you don't have to be perfect in everyone's eyes and focusing on developing your unique qualities. When I was one of the rare females in medical school, I frequently got called the B word, which I felt very hurt by. When I learned to accept that I was strong, determined, and assertive, and could see how some people could see that as a negative, it was no longer a problem. In fact, when I accepted that part of myself as okay, I was never called that word again. When told by someone I was opinionated, I became glad I had my own opinions. When we seek out the positive things, we feel better. If we focus on the bad things, we feel worse. After all, everyone doesn't have the same definition of what is okay and acceptable And you cannot meet everyone's expectations, but you can strive to meet your own. Remember, the universe saw fit to put you here and must see you as okay. So start looking for the okay things in yourself and quit second-guessing your creator. When you think about it, there are a lot of people out there criticizing the creator for a whole lot of different things. 
If they're going to criticize our Creator, how can you expect them not to criticize you? That is mission impossible. So minimize the attention you give to their opinions. Fifth, you can also make yourself feel much better by using your magic power. It's called the off button or the remote control. And you can turn off and tune out that negative information that comes in electronically. In addition to bad stuff, there's a tremendous abundance of good stuff in the world. But you won't notice the magnolias and roses and orchids blooming if you're only looking for the horse manure. Again, our brain is like a guided missile, honing in on whatever we tell it to look for. The news has a tendency to make us feel bad, especially if we are watching it just before we go to sleep, because that becomes what our brain focuses on through the night. Generally, we should take time out before going to sleep to clear out our brains by exercise, meditation, looking at something funny, or some strategy to wash that bad news or other negative thoughts out of our brains. Laughter is a great medicine before we go to bed. And if we also start practicing an attitude of gratitude for all the good things in life, it becomes yet another step that solidifies feeling much better. In summary, if you want to make your life happier, learn to reframe your beliefs, refocus your thoughts regarding the things you look for in life, and receive and recognize all the many good things you have in life instead of cursing the problems. Realize even the problems are there to teach you something helpful, and then things really start to improve. Quite simply, retraining your brain makes your life better. Your mindset is your biggest asset in making your life happier and gives you the power to overcome stressors, move forward with goals, and have the life you want. It works for me, has worked for thousands of my patients, and it is my wish you will take it and use it to create happiness for yourself. Namaste. Thank you for listening to Shrink Wrapped, where our goal is to help you shrink away your problems and increase your rapture in life. If you want to find additional information or comment on a show or make suggestions for things you'd like to hear discussed, please go to my website, Go Dr. Judy. That's G-O-D-R-J-U-D-Y dot com. I look forward to meeting with you again next week. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.